Well, it's good to be able to do two sermons in the same series, so I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Chad was having fun in Las Vegas, sending us lots of pictures on Facebook. Um, but today we're focusing on different again, and I, I, I just want to emphasize that different Christian ethic that we follow, and, that, and that's the focus. But the passage that Chad gave me um, has something sort of uh, controversial, and, that's, and, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but I want to start with a rhetorical question, and that is, have you ever wondered about faith, you know, what it is, or if you have enough, or if you want more of it? Have you ever wondered about it? See, I, I think that faith is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible, and, and yet it's one of the most important things. So I'll start with an illustration. A uh, young man who wanted to know everything that God had for him and who wanted to make sure that his first love after his conversion stayed very, very strong. And so he went to this elderly Christian's house, uh, and this older man was known for having a very strong faith and, and consistently strong faith, faith throughout his life. And so the young man approaches uh, the elderly Christian, and the elderly Christian is sitting on his porch, his dog uh, right by him, and he's just watching the sunset. And the young man carefully says, you know, sir, I have a question. Why is it that so many Christians, a year or two after their conversion, seem to fall in this, into this routine of church where they just go every once in a while and they, and they lose the potency of that first love? Sir, I've heard that you're not like that. So the old man just kind of smiles, and he says, let me tell you a story. He said, one day I was sitting here on my porch, and out in the field, a white rabbit took off, and my dog got up and chased that white rabbit. It was a sight. He was going up and down fields, and then other dogs started to join in. They were attracted by the barking. And they were going up and down fields over stony embankments and through thorns and thistles. But then something peculiar happened. The other dogs, one by one, started to fall away. They became disheartened by the chase and frustrated by the course. The old man stopped, and he looked at the young man, and he said, in that is your answer. So the young man sat confused for a little bit until he finally asked, I, I, I don't understand. What does a dog chase have to do with the pursuit of God? And the old man says, well, you failed to see the answer because you failed to ask the most important question. Why did the other dogs stop the chase? 
And the answer is, they never saw the rabbit. You see, it's hard to have that passion and have that drive and to keep that faith when you don't see the prize. And see, as, as Christians, our faith may often call us to go over stony embankments or through thorns and thistles. And I just pray that as we read this, as we go along, we realize that we need to have that faith that sees the prize and that knows that it's worth it so that in the end, we're still in hot pursuit of that rabbit. So I'm going to read the passage. It's James 2, 14 through 26. And I'm going to try to do like I did uh, a few weeks ago and, and, and go mostly just uh, through the verses. Um, but we'll start here. James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose, brother or sister, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited him, to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead." See, this is a controversial passage because on one hand, we have the Apostle Paul telling us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But here we have James, the brother of Jesus, saying in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So indeed, this seems to be controversial. It's no wonder that Chad left this passage to me. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't want to shy away from this. I, I want us to take this seriously. I mean, is the Bible really contradicting itself here? And I, I love to discuss issues like this. Uh, just ask my wife. She knows now uh, to avoid using words like always and never around me. Because if I, if I can show just one instance where it's not always the case or vice versa, then I win. 
And I, I love that. So one day I was at work, and an employee of mine was encouraging another person, and, and they said, they said this, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Well, and I did the appropriate thing. I, I took her aside, and I let her know that this is a wildly absurd claim. <laughs> and she looked at me totally bewildered, and she said, well, I, what do you mean? There are no stupid questions. And I said, we'll call her Rachel. I said, Rachel, what is the difference between a duck? And she said, and? And I said, what do you mean? That's my question. What's the difference between a duck? And she said, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. And I said, well, Rachel, stupid questions often don't. Check and mate. So what points in this sermon can I make to, to help make an important distinction between what Paul is saying on one hand and what James is saying on the other? Let's start at the beginning. James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, faith is the common denominator here. Everyone alive expresses faith in something. Uh, I, we can't live a single day without expressing faith unless we literally close our eyes and don't move. Even then, I think I could make an argument that you're still <laughs> using faith. But, I mean, every one of you probably went to the bathroom this morning and you flipped on a switch and you, you expected, you had faith that the light would come on. Or you, you turn the key in your car and you have faith that the car will come on. You walk into a building and you have faith that the architect and the workman, they did a good job, right? Yet in each instance of faith, there was an action. You flipped a switch. You turned a key. You walked into a building. And I, I'm sure this is a common um, Christian illustration that you have heard of the tightrope walk walker Charles Blondine or Blondin, but Blondine is how they say it in uh, French. Um, he was one of the greatest tightrope walkers, and, and one of his most famous feats is his tightroping over the Niagara Falls. And there were crowds of people, lots of newspapers and reporters there, and they were all very excited. And after he goes across one time, he he goes to them and he, he says to the crowd, how many of you believe that I can take a wheelbarrow across the falls? And the, I mean, the crowd goes crazy. Like, of course we believe. Yes, you can do it. And then he says, well, how many believe I can take a man in the wheelbarrow across the falls? Again, just eruption. 
Everybody believes. Yes, absolutely. So Blondine points to the most enthusiastic man, and he says, you, get in. And of course, the man made a quick exit. But what Blondine showed is that there's often a big difference between belief, that is the faith we say we have, and the action faith, that is the faith we actually have. You see, the most important measure of our faith is not our talk, it is our walk. Faith is what we do, not what we say we'll do. See, funny enough, I was uh, a few years back, I was in a theology course with none other than my father as the residing professor, the very beautiful bald man in the front row. <laughs> and uh, one of the things we were going over was praxis theology, and that's a theology that's primarily concerned with the practice of Christianity, what Christians do. And what praxis theologians pointed out was that it's not our professions, but our practice that embody our true beliefs. Because we can say we believe a lot of things, but when it comes down to it, if we don't actually do the things that would embody those beliefs, then do we actually believe it? It may be true that you are what you eat, but it is certainly true that you do that which you believe. And see, this is an extremely important point, because let's look back at what James says. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Uh, Matthew Henry, you'll see his commentary everywhere. He's a 16th century minister. He commented that there is no truth in their profession. Their practice shows its folly and falsehood. Or Carl Jung, a very famous psych, uh, psychiatrist, said, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Basically, what kind of good does it possibly serve to profess your faith if your actions so that you don't actually believe it? Francis Bacon said it this way, excuse me, he said, it is not what men eat, but what they digest that makes them strong. Not what we gain, but what we save that make us rich. Not what we read, but what we remember that make us learned. Not what we preach, but what we practice that make us Christians. Let me try to illustrate this. Yeah, I heard the Costco. Um, <clears throat> I have a lot of these stories I've said. I'm working the refund desk. Surprise. And uh, a guy comes up and he gently places a box on the counter and I say, oh, are you returning the vacuum today? I noticed, I noticed that the vacuum, uh, that the box was a Hoover vacuum and he had put it on the counter and he uh, doesn't really respond just kind of shakes his head I say okay uh, can I get your Costco card he gives me his card I scan it and then I say what I always say I say is there anything wrong with the vacuum or you just didn't want it and he just looks at me points at the box and he says 
I didn't even open it. I just don't want it. Okay? And he didn't have a receipt, but that's fine because I can look it up on my handy computer. And I do. I go over. But then I notice something on the computer. When I look at the item, I see a history. I see he's purchased this vacuum quite a few times. In fact, he's returned this vacuum quite a few times. I mean, that's fine. I, I, can, I can still do the return. But it makes me think a, a little bit more critically. I mean, I, I look back and I say, you know, why, why did he place that vacuum so gently on the counter like it was going to break? And, and why was he so irritable immediately? So I, I had verified that he did purchase it, if not several times. And then I go to the box and I look at it a little bit more closely. And I kind of am turning the box and I notice at the top that the tape it had been lifted before. Because you know how the, the cardboard can get stuck under it sometimes. Yeah, it had been pulled up. I noticed that. But I don't make it obvious because I'm detective, Matt, here. And, <laughs> and I am flipping around. But while I'm doing this, the guy is getting irritated. He says, come on, I don't have all day. I'm being honest. I'm not lying. I haven't used it. I need to go. Well, he professed honesty, so of course I should believe him but I didn't. And I said, sir, it's just our policy to verify the item. Um, and so I, I take a box cutter and cut the tape, even though it had already been lifted. But remember, I'm being innocent here, because this is what we do. And I open it up, and the weight is right, and all the, the packaging and the extra cardboard is in there. Except there's one thing. There's no vacuum. In fact, the weight that I was feeling was from the nice-sized rock at the, head, at, the, at the bottom of the box. <laughs> and he left too quickly for me to give him a return on his rock. I'm sure there was something we could do. But what this illustrates, what's instructive here, is that it doesn't matter that he professed honesty. His actions betrayed it. His profession of honesty is dead. It is nothing. It is zilch. If he ever had it at that moment, it was meaningless. See, what I'm getting at here is if you say you have faith, but your actions are faithless, then your faith has committed suicide. It's dead. It's meaningless. And that's why James goes on to say, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, he's demonstrating that words are nothing without action. See, and the funny thing is here is that Paul sees this too. That passage above that we stated, uh, we quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right after this, it, it's so often omitted when we reference this passage, literally the very next verse, in verse 10 it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Works are not what save us. Grace is what saves us, but our faith in Christ will produce good works inevitably. That is why James kind of throws the gauntlet down and he, and he gives this challenge in verse 18, 19. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And you know, in many ways, perhaps we've, we've neutered the word uh, faith in our culture in the same way that we've neutered the word love. See, uh, love is used uh, in reference to our fondness for ice cream uh, and also for that deep abiding affection we have for our family. Yes, we use the same exact word for liking ice cream that we use for how we feel about our parents or our children. And that's kind of how, what we've done to grace. We've, we've neutered it. Um, we've, we've cheapened the impact of love on the world. And that's why, I mean, you'll see so many modifiers now when talking about love. You don't just say, I love you, you know, or, or if people are trying to make an important distinction, they'll say maternal love or Christian love because plain old love doesn't do it anymore. And faith in the same way, we've treated it as a sort of easy believism or, or a vending machine Christianity, some have called it. It's the idea that as long as you believe, it doesn't really matter what you do. You, you just believe and you can do whatever you want, go about your life uh, not even thinking about it, just living in whatever way. And you treat Christianity basically only as what it gives you and not what you do for Christianity. It's, that's just all it is. See, grace is not that cheap, though. In, um, grace through faith, and faith isn't always easy. Grace is through faith, and faith isn't always easy. I, I, we look back at the first example of going through thorns and thistles in the chase. But faith, in many ways, is putting our lives all in for God. We're betting the whole farm. That means when God calls us into the wheelbarrow to be tightroped across the raging waters, we say, I'm in. I'm in, God. Because we're all in. And if we're not all in, then our faith is dead. We are all talk, but no walk. We may be well-intentioned, we may have good opinions, but good opinions and intentions are only demonstrations of what we say we believe. Actions demonstrate what we actually believe. Actions confirm or belie what we profess. And this is different. This is definitely different from the world. Because in the world, it's all about what you believe. It doesn't matter how you act on those beliefs. It's just, do you have the right beliefs? Are you in line with what you need to believe? Consider this illustration. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. So a subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person walked by and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, 
only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated how deep the pit was. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on that pit. A self-pitting person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A fire and brimstone preacher said, you deserve your pit. A Christian scientist observed, the, pity, the pit is just in your mind. A psychologist noted, your mother and father are to blame for you being into that pit. A self-esteem therapist said, believe in yourself and you can get out of that pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist claimed, things will get worse. Jesus, on the other hand, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. Many of these people may have had good intentions. They certainly stopped, after all, and offered their opinion and maybe some words of advice and encouragement. You can still have the best intentions. You can have the right heart and the most sincere beliefs. But if you don't have action, it's no good. James put the dagger in and says, even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons believe in God, but they don't have faith in the salvific sacrifice of Christ. They don't have faith that a baptism into the name of Christ is an act of self-sacrifice and transformation. If they did have faith in this way, they wouldn't be demons. See, if we have faith in this way, our actions would testify to it. James continues saying, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. See, James uses this as a perfect example of what he's getting at here. See, because when Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, he had these pre-existing beliefs. One, he believed God was so powerful that, you know what, God can in fact raise a person from the dead. And he also, he had belief in a promise. See, God had promised that he would bring about great nations from Isaac, the son that God is asking him to now sacrifice. So he believes that that promise is still going to come true somehow. And these beliefs that he had were called to the fore. They were beckoned to be tested because God says, take him up to an altar and sacrifice him. And so what did Abraham do? He acted. He brought his son up to be sacrificed. And of course, we know from the story that God stopped it and didn't, didn't have him sacrifice his son. He saw that Abraham had faith. But what is so important here, what's so crucial here, is how did God see that Abraham had faith? 
Did he just look into Abraham's heart and say, yep, you got the right beliefs? No, he waited to see what Abraham would do. And once he saw what Abraham would do, he credited that faith to him as righteousness. Because the faith was not in what Abraham said he believed, but it, came, it was what he actually believed, which was bore out in what he did. Now, if we could turn faith into a verb here, we would say that Abraham was faithing. He was faithing. We should faith in this way, too. And the funny thing here is that this fuller understanding of faith actually makes Christians different. See, the world is perfectly fine with impotent beliefs, beliefs that can be spouted without conviction, and it it reminds me of a clip from Evan Almighty uh, where Morgan Freeman is playing God, but he's undercover God at the moment. And a character is uh, very disheartened um, because she wants uh, these things to happen and she's praying about it. And uh, he is able to get into a conversation with her about prayer. And he says to her, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they pray for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for their family to be closer, which is what she had prayed for, you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other. We don't have to take our theology from Morgan Freeman uh, because what Morgan Freeman is saying is a fundamentally biblical claim that God doesn't just zap us to give us warm, fuzzy feelings. God desires us to become mature Christians through enduring the growth pains. We want to be courageous. Well, we'll have opportunities to be courageous. We want to be loving. We'll be given opportunities to be loving. We want to have faith, we'll be given opportunities to be faithful. The reality is that it's just so abundantly clear that what Paul is saying and what James are saying are not in conflict. This apparent tension between faith and works is misplaced. Faith in God produces faithful actions. I mean, you think about the sun in the sky, the sun produces heat. It produces heat inevitably because of what it is. It's this uh, very big ball of condensed hydrogen, uh, like a plasma ball, and all the gravity is immense, whatever. It produces heat inevitably. Faith produces faithful actions inevitably. And see, if the, if the sun didn't produce heat, it would be dead. Literally, it would be a dead star. If our faith does not produce faithful actions, it is dead in the same way. One night, a house caught fire, and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. And the father stood on the ground below 
with outstretched arms, calling to his son, Jump! I'll catch you! He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. But all the boy could see, however, was flame, smoke, and blackness. As can be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. But his father kept yelling, Jump! I'll catch you! But the boy protested, Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, But I can see you, and that's all that matters. The boy jumped. He jumped because he trusted his father. See, the Christian faith has always been about enablement. It enables us to face life or death, not because we can see, but with the certainty that we are seen. Not because we know all the answers, but because we are known. This is different. Just so different. It's all about what you say you believe in the world, what you say you'll do. Faith in Christianity is what you do. Faith in Christianity enables us to jump when we can't see, to trust when we can't know, to love when we want to hate, to die when we want to live. Our faith is different, and outside those doors is our opportunity to prove it. And so today I, I want to leave you with that challenge, that you will inspect your lives, that you will challenge your beliefs to produce faithful actions, that you'll look at the things you're doing and you'll say, is this coming from faith? Because faith is not always easy. It's not just what we say we believe. It's about what we actually believe. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you so much uh, for the opportunity um, to hopefully bring a little bit of light to what is oftentimes considered a controversy, controversy, but really it's not, God, that our faith produces faithful actions. And I pray that we would be introspective with respect to this, God, that we would look at our own beliefs and see that we are being faithful Christians, that we are producing faithful actions, God. And I just thank you so much for loving us, for dying for us, God, for giving us something so worthwhile to chase through stony embankments, through thorns and thistles. God, we just thank you so much that you have empowered us, that you have enabled us through this faith. And I just pray that you would be with us today and always, and we love you so much. In your precious name, amen.